Hi, this is Donna Otto, and we are Modern Homemakers, and I come to you this day on June 15th, 2020, with sadness and gladness. And I'll never forget my shock, my astounded shock, that in the course of an event, one could be sad and glad simultaneously. Have you ever experienced that? Well, five years ago today, I was sad and glad simultaneously over the event which we are remembering today, Elizabeth Elliot's passing. I was sad even though I had watched her for a number of years decline in mental health, not physical health very much. She had a great team of caregivers. But in mental health, I would catch an eye of recognition, and I, I would say she knows what we're saying. She hears what we're saying. She understands what we're saying. She just can't speak the words. And I would have this eye recognition, like, like she wouldn't nod at me. But, and then she would have eye recognition over humorous things and over those scowly little eyebrow things. And I thought, I do remember clearly saying to someone who had come to visit while I was there at Magnolia, Massachusetts, at the Cove, where Lars and Elizabeth lived her last years of life. And she died at home in her bed. But I remember saying, we must guard our conversations when Elizabeth is around because she understands everything and yet she has no way to communicate with us back or to ask a question. So just be sensitive to that. She suffered a great deal in her life over many things, some of which are gigantic losses. She lost two husbands to death, one after only a few years of marriage in the jungles, martyred by savage Indians. The second, only a few years after marriage, to the ravages of the jungle of health, cancer. She herself had many tragedies of personal nature. And she wrote much about suffering. She wrote much about suffering. The first book that I would introduce to you of Elizabeth is called A Path Through Suffering, Discovering the Relationship Between God's Mercy and Our Plan. A paragraph or two. The six-year-old boy wrote to me, my grandmother has brain tumor. The doctor says she only has six months to live. Can you help me about this? He enclosed a picture of himself. I held it in my hand and I studied the little face. So sweet, so wistful. Could I help him about this? It was not the first time I had faced such a question. What was I, a jungle missionary, to say to my own child of two when she learned the song, Jesus loves me, and wanted to know whether Jesus had loved her daddy, too. And I gave her the truth, yes. Next question, then why did he let the Alka Indians kill him? A little girl can be shown that her father's death is a gateway to life for him. And how was I to explain the truth of delivering power of death? I could not. But I still had to give an answer, a truthful answer. I did not know all God's reasons. The ones I was quite sure I did know, Valerie could not have understood. But what he had reasons, I was sure of. And that they were loving reasons, I was also sure. 
the assurance of that it was not for nothing comforted me the assurance of that that it was not for nothing that the suffering was not for nothing I've just read from you to you an excerpt from a paragraph from a book that Elizabeth titled a path through suffering a path through suffering some years prior to that Elizabeth was doing a conference and she did six sessions on the subject of suffering. You know, I'm not positive whether they were ever titled or not. But a young woman who sat through all six was changed, dramatically changed. And she writes an introduction to a gift book that I'm going to offer to you called Suffering is never for nothing. Suffering is never for nothing. What an incredible concept. Incredible idea that no matter how great the suffering is, no matter how deep the wound is, suffering is never for nothing. And so this book, which I hold in my hand, never before published material, of Elizabeth Elliot's Suffering is Never for Nothing can be yours as a gift from us. It's a $20 book, not that expensive, and you can buy it on Amazon if you want to and you're in inspired to read it, or you could do something that would help us in something we're calling We Want to Meet Your Friends and Make Them Our Friends. Your friends can be our friends. And here's what I'd like to ask you to do. I'd like you to invite a friend of yours who is not currently listening to Modern Homemakers and tell her, will you listen and then send the ministry a note saying, I'm listening because a friend invited me. Her name is. And then you'll send us your email information, your hard mail information, and we'll send you a copy of this book. Suffering is never for nothing. Posthumously printed out of the life of Elizabeth Elliot. We have 30 of these copies and I know they'll go fast. So I encourage you to get inviting. Well, I'm going to introduce you to my friend Lauren and let her talk a bit about this memory we're holding of Elizabeth today. And I want to say from my own life, Elizabeth Elliot changed the course of my life. She changed the course of my life in so many ways that it's very hard for me to separate out two things. What did she tell me? What did she say to me? What did I do? How did I act upon the things she said? One, and what's her material and what's my material, too? And I remember asking her that long before she became uh, unable to communicate because I, I would ask her about it and she would say to me, oh, Dotto, if it's in your heart and you believe it, then teach it. Just tell it. So this precious friend and mother of my heart, didn't just mother me. In many ways, she mothered all parts of the world that we live in. Her books, 
her tapes, her messages, the travel that she participated in in the middle decades of her life allowed her to interface with tens of thousands of people. Before arena events were arena events, she would meet in Champaign, Urbana, Illinois. There were five to 7,000 people in those conventions, mostly college people. Her influence was wide. And you've heard parts of my story and Elizabeth, and you have for all the years that you've been listening to Modern Homemakers. But I want to introduce you to a younger friend. I'm not sure how much younger she is than me, but significantly. <laughs> and her name is Lauren. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Donna. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for joining us. I know we live in the same city, but we don't see each other very often. And we have this common ground. And so I'm very happy that you were willing and able to join us today to help us remember this mother of our heart. So mm. my first question to you is, in your mind, from your perspective, from the chair you sit in, what is Elizabeth Elliot's legacy? Mm. Well, that's a big question, isn't it? And a lot of people think about legacy these days um, in different, different ways. So I think about legacy as something that's handed down from one generation to the next. And because of that, I think it takes time to reveal what will last. So with Elizabeth um, having poured into my life, uh, okay, I am... 61 years old, but I began you reading. Young and pup, you <laughs> I began reading and becoming uh, familiar with Elizabeth speaking when I was a college student. So that's only the years. And I named my daughter for her, which many women would say they have as well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which uh, it was funny when I told Elizabeth that I had named my daughter for her, she, she said to me, Did you spell it with an S? <laughs> Of course she did. <laughs> and so her legacy in my life is clear to me. Uh, her legacy as it will be passed on in generations, I believe will grow. Uh, because it will involve the the shape of godliness. That's what she said her mentors passed on to her. Was that they showed her the shape of godliness. And that's what she did for all of us as well. And it came through in her character, not only in the big ways, like her missionary story and her writing and her speaking, but but for me, it was also being able to observe a little bit more closely how Elizabeth fought in all the small private moments to walk in obedience to the Lord, uh, especially when it went against her nature. And so from, from the platforms down very private moments, I saw a woman who walked in obedience and humility as a servant. And to me, that will be her legacy in my life. And I believe will continue to be passed on as people drink of her rich words and her voice and the things that she wanted us to partake in, like her mentors, like Amy Carmichael and others that she pointed us to. 
Mm-hmm. She did. Um, you you allude to private moments, and I think a subset I would ask you is describe for our audience a private moment you had with Elizabeth. Just one of them. Some of the moments I had with Elizabeth that were more private. Yes. Um, okay, so there was there was an interesting time when I another city to hear her speak at a conference a large church and I was table with her husband Lars and watching her as she signed books and spoke with the people that to see her in the meantime there was a breakfast going on in the other room where people could come and get fruit and muffins and things to eat before the conference began I I was sitting at the table that no one was tending to Elizabeth. They had not assigned anyone to host her or to care for her needs. And so she sat for well over an hour uh, signing books and speaking with people and no one brought her anything. When the music began in the auditorium, everybody left the foyer where we were and Lars and Elizabeth and I walked into the room where the food had been and were cleaning up. And the caterers just had a few things that we could clean there at the end. And then we walked into the auditorium. And I noticed as we as we walked in the back, and Lars said, go ahead and sit down so you can hear Elizabeth. And they were behind me. And the speaker up front was already introducing Elizabeth, although she was not in the room. And I was aghast that she had been treated, I felt, disrespectfully, or at least thoughtlessly. And I was angry because I love her so much and I wanted her treated well. But when she got to the front of the platform, what I heard her say taught me more than what she had to say for the rest of her talk. (laughs) That was, she said, I had a muffin in my mouth as I was walking up that long aisle and you had to clap much longer than you might have because of the time it took me to get here. <laughs> so thank you for that. And my heart just, I started crying because I thought that is a picture of humility. She did not notice what I did. She did not take note that she had not been well cared for this morning. She acts like a servant and she acts in humility no matter that there's this auditorium full of people waiting to hear her. And so that had a huge impression on me. Mm. There, was, there was another time that, later that day, when <laughs> we were cleaning up after the second event at a smaller church, and Lars asked her to stand here and wait for him. And then another time, he turned back a few minutes later and said, well, what are you doing? And she said, you told me to stand here. And I thought to myself, you know, she did what she was asked. And I thought, I saw her do that so many times that someone would ask her to do something. And she humbly, like a servant, would just do what she was asked. And that made a huge impression on me. There was a time at another conference when a woman asked in question and answer about a hymn that she had referenced. And she said, I'm not sure I know that hymn um, I, or the melody. And so Elizabeth just cleared her throat and sang the song. Now, Elizabeth was no soloist. She had, you know, just an ordinary voice, but she sang the song to the woman in front of a crowd of people without any thought to her own 
embarrassment or what we might feel. She was that humble. And so, as you can tell, that is a legacy that is going to stay with me for a long time, that a woman of this level of influence and this level of notoriety would act like a servant wherever she went. Ugh. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Well, I uh, those are great vignettes and ones that we have seen, as you said, many times. And I think there is um, much to be said about acting like a servant and being a servant. And while we saw those actions, you've described several of them, we saw those actions. Elizabeth was truly, from the inside out, a servant. It wasn't that she didn't take regard of herself. She did. I thought she was very healthy in her awareness about what her needs were, Mm -hmm. but she was not demanding. And while you use the word notoriety, what would she say if she were here right now? Really, honestly, Lauren, like she, she, notoriety was not a word that was even a concept of who she thought she was. She felt, if anything, that that notoriety put upon her a special set of responsibilities, you know, till she was unable, she answered every letter she ever got mm-hmm. herself. She didn't pawn it out to someone. She answered every letter. of, And it's akin to how many emails we get. She would get mm-hmm. a stack of letters every day. And she mm-hmm. set about answering them the next day. And when she would come home from a trip, she'd say to me, Oh, Dotto, the pile is so big. And there was that sense of responsibility, but it was also, as you say, it was... It was the notoriety that brought about that. But she would never have thought of herself that way, would she? Mm. Yes, and and that's why so many of us have the pressure of a file of notes from Elizabeth. (laughs) (laughs) So lovingly signed, you know, because she took the time to treat each of us who loved her um, as if we were important. So who am I? you know, to be talking with you today about Elizabeth. The only reason that I get to be the one of the thousands that love her to say anything in her honor is because I happen to know you, and that's a treat. Mm, um, thank you. But, but so many, so many feel the same as, as I do, that they had a personal connection with her because of the way that she reached out and spent time and made you feel like you mattered. Yes. And you know, she never picked or chose. So if there was a stack of mail, sometimes she would pick and choose by the length of it, you know, how, how difficult it would be to respond. So if she saw your note or letter to her, which would have been familiar to her, and seven or 12 others that were not, she didn't take you to the top to make sure you got her first response. She just knew she was going to do them all, and that was that. And I remember a a similar lesson to what you were saying. I I thought, well, I'll go through these, and which ones are important, and which ones are not, and which question is more difficult, but that was not her style at all. And it was not only her servant heart toward Christ, but she was a servant 
to those that Christ had sent. And um, mm. she she didn't she didn't like all that. She would wave her long bony hand and arm and you know like oh capital and and that was a style of hers. Thank you. Those are lovely remembrances um, and jog mm. a lot in all of the people who are listening to us talk about. Well, the last thing I ask is so what of Elizabeth's teachings? And you are very acquainted with all of her teachings and all of her books. I'm guessing you've heard most, if not all, of her audio mm-hmm. lessons. So which of these teachings, which broad subject and why would you recommend them to our audience of young women and mothers? Well, that's an easy question for me to answer because I was a young woman when I began reading Elizabeth, and her work is timeless. So the things that influence me so deeply will continue to speak to this generation. So for the moms, I would say read all of her work. How's that? <laughs> Breaking it down. Okay, now, wait, wait, Lauren. <laughs> you know what I always say? Read all of them and then read them again. Well, the reason I say that is because writing today seems to be more informal, uh, simpler, but Eve's writing, Elizabeth's writing, challenges me to think, and it introduces me to other great writers and thinkers and servants mm-hmm. of God. So when you're at home and you're dealing with young children, we crave something that draws us higher and that makes us think more deeply because, you know, making peanut butter sandwiches and changing diapers and watching Sesame Street is necessarily feeding our souls. It is fulfilling a super important calling, and I believe it's holy calling. And so I don't want to say anything against that time of our lives, but let's face it, our brains just long for some adult thought times. And so that's why I believe it's so refreshing to revisit because she calls you higher. So specifically, I would say that besides the obvious shaping of a Christian family, I believe that for a young mom, the book Discipline the Glad Surrender mm. is really helpful because it talks about a very practical call to godly living in each of the areas of our lives. And it's a great time when you're young and you're raising a family. Get your act together because you are an example to your children. So that book was really helpful for that. And also, I believe her books that are collections of essays are really helpful at that time because sometimes you don't have time to finish a book yep. because <laughs> life interrupts. And yeah. so the essay books are many topics and they're very short. And so books like Keep a Quiet Heart, which yes. is a collection of her say from her newsletters, or All That Was Ever Ours, or On Asking God Why. These essay books are really accessible and are topical, so they're easy to read for a young mom. That's great. Great introduction to the myriads of things that Elizabeth did in her lifetime. Mm-hmm. Well, Lauren, it has been a delight to have you. Thank you for joining us, for making the time. I know you're off to an appointment, and I hope we haven't made you late for it. But blessings to you, Lauren, from Scottsdale, Arizona. Thank you. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it a very uncommon day of remembering those men and women who have touched your life.